You're listening to the Battle of Ontario with Callum Fraser and Alec Brownscope. Tomorrow, the Vegas Golden Knights will select 30 players in the NHL's 13th expansion draft in league history. On Wednesday at the NHL Awards, we'll know little by little the players hockey's newest franchise has selected from each of the other 30 teams. So before all that happens, let's delve into some of the surprises the protection lists the NHL kindly released Sunday morning brought and what it means for the Leafs and Senators. But first... Callum Fraser, Alec Brownscombe, bringing you episode 32 of, without a doubt, the least consistent weekly hockey show running. (laughs) It's been a couple months since we last got behind the mics, but the dust has settled over an exhilarating postseason, and it's time to get one of the most highly anticipated off-seasons in recent memory underway. This is the Battle of Ontario, and currently from his hometown of Peterborough, uh, preparing for laser eye surgery. Alec joins us over the phone. Alec, how are you? Doing really well. So the Leafs ended up protecting Matt Martin, and I know that you want to give us your best I told you so, because you were one of the maybe few to uh, realize this was coming. And explain why they did it. Yeah, I don't think it took necessarily a a Nostradamus to to kind of predict that. But I mean, the the Leafs didn't even have enough NHL roster players to fill the spots. So I guess... Yeah, I wasn't among those that was expecting them to not protect an asset that they gave, like, I guess it was four years, $10 million one year ago, and, and protect him over a bunch of waiver-eligible forwards who were in, in tough to crack the team. So, yeah, I mean, I, I get the angst. Like, would I have Matt Martin on my team, particularly on that contract? Not at all. But I'm not going to keep acting shocked and angry all over and again when – you know, they don't treat Matt Martin like he's the sort of the useless Coke machine and Capford that some people would like them to view him as. I mean, after they after they valued him enough to give him that commitment just 11 months ago. So I, I guess that um, the two guys that were potentially looking at losing in, in Reichel and, and uh, Leipzig, they both need really big camp showings, I think, to force their way into the mix with the least depth up front. So it's it's it was really hard to see a place for either of them. Um, I also think there's probably a younger prospect or two that's got the least eye as well with, um, you know, Grundstrom and Andreas Janssen, guys who aren't waiver eligible. I could see them sort of surpassing Leipzig and Reichel on the peck, pecking order uh, if they haven't already. So, I mean, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be a pro Matt Martin guy here, but it's not like they went and protected, you know. Ryan Reeves over David Perron or anything, you know? <laughs> yeah, over like, I don't know, we could list off four or five other blues that they probably should have protected over him. It's it's weird, too, because, I mean, I shouldn't be shocked because nowadays, you know, Twitter, social media, and, and fans in general do get offended or, or, you know, get out of sorts over really small things. But I looked at the, the list that the Leafs have protected and who they're not, and it's like, you're really grasping at straws here if you really think this is a horrible move. Uh, to to protect Matt Martin over a couple of guys that really like aren't even NHL players, like you said that yesterday, and and so overall though, do you think this this was the right move? And, and obviously we're still grasping at straws, but would you rather them have protected another guy? Uh, no, I don't think I would have. I think, um, I think there's a there's a push, there's some uh, desire among Leafs fans to protect Brendan Leipzig there, just because there might be some upside there. But a guy like Reichel, I don't see anything there in terms of. I don't think he would actually bring that all that much more than a Matt Martin on the fourth line, and he's certainly not going to bring what the Leafs like from Matt Martin in terms of the dressing room element, whatever 
making the kids feel safe or whatever it is, you know, that they actually like about them that we as fans don't really have to care about. Um, but, you know, both of them, as you said, I don't know, I think you mentioned this, they're both waiver eligible. And, you know, it's Kirby Reichel does have that top 20 pedigree and he's got some size and meanness to him. Maybe he could have been on the fourth line in Martin's place. I just don't think he's shown sort of the level of I'm done with the AHL yet for me to, you know, sweat this at all. So who are they taking? Because I I don't really I, it's it's kind of hard for me to pick if I, I have probably seen like a a total of ten games between these these three guys that are you know that have a chance of being taken. But who do you think Vegas is going to snag from Toronto? I uh, if I had to bet, I would, and this is by no means a certainty. I think I could see it going a bunch of different directions. But if I were to bet, it would be Brendan Leipzig. Um, he didn't look at a place in his NHL stint at the end of uh, the year before last. And his numbers really do sort of suggest he's done with the AHL. I think he would have been in the mix for the scoring title if it wasn't for uh, an injury halfway through the year. Um, it, I, I look at the, the Vegas sort of projected lineup, and there's more than enough quality depth defensemen available to them that I don't think a guy like Martin Marinson or Alexei Marchenko, I, I think they'd mostly be a waste of time for them. But in their, in their defense, they have shown they can take a shift in the NHL. So... In general, like McPhee's not going to have a lot of fun making this lease pick. <laughs> I saw I saw someone joke <laughs> the on Vancouver on Twitter, right? Lou should send them a, a sympathy draft pick. So it's really sort of a, a non-event here in Toronto. Well, I think it was I don't know if it was uh, Manny Perry or Travis Yost, either one or the other, but they said like if you look at the the list that Vancouver's giving to Vegas, it's like do you even want to take any of these guys at all? It's <laughs> it's really funny. Yeah, Anyways, not so much in Ottawa. Which yeah. is interesting, and uh, let's blame Dion, right? Yeah. Okay. Let's <laughs> let's get that to a second uh, in a second. But I really want to ask you one more thing, uh, and maybe quickly. I don't know if you want to expand on this. You did write a lot about it yesterday. Uh, you wrote a piece in which you said Colin Miller was a sound fit for the Leafs. Do you want to give us the spark notes on that? Because I read it, and there were a lot of different, you know, advanced stats uh, bits, you know, regular stats, and, and then what he could really bring to the team. So, do you want to give us the spark notes on why you think he would be a good fit for the Leafs, and and why do you think that it could actually be a possibility? Uh, I don't know. I don't have any inside information on this, other than to say I'm just like anyone else, clicking around hockey DB, looking at you know different sort of connections and I know I know that Colin Miller and was drafted by Kyle Dubas into the OHL and um, I know that his advanced stats are really really show nicely but it's it's one of those situations like Boston was the top possession team in the east and Colin Miller played from what I've been told talking to guys in Boston really really soft minutes but there's a lot that I've always liked that I was I, I remember watching Boston in Ottawa one night and this, this is in the playoffs. It was one of those guys who doesn't have to play very much, and he caught my attention. Like he was—he's got some size to him. I wouldn't say he's huge, but he's got some size to him. Um, he's a really good skater, um, and he's got a bomb of a shot. So like he's—he kind of sort of leaped off the page, even though you know I was sort of poking around and looking into him a little bit, and I just—I uh, know that he wouldn't really be a sexy choice. I don't think he's going to move the needle in a significant way for the Leafs, but. If they're going to go and if they're not going to make a, a splash in the form of a Sammy Vatman or, a, you know, whatever whatever name you have out there that you know, probably has 20, 25 teams interested in them, then I could see them just wanting to shore up depth on the right side. And ideally, maybe they bring back Roman Polak, but ideally you bring in someone who has a little bit of upside who could maybe play his way into 
the Leafs' top four. And I'm not saying I have any real evidence that Miller can be a top four guy based on last season, um, fancy stats aside. But um, I could see how that would be a reasonable bet for the Leafs if he could be had relatively cheaply from a team in Vegas that's going to have a bunch of, uh, I think, quality depth defensemen that they could not just stockpile but uh, flip for uh, assets. So while in Toronto, you guys are really, you know, sitting pretty and relaxed and, you know, waiting for next season to see all your great prospects. Over in Ottawa, it's it's kind of a an extremely different vibe. And we already know that Cody Cece was going to be protected the day before. Craig Anderson was an obvious choice in net. So there's no surprises behind the blue line. But Ryan Dezingle ended up on the protection list. And this, this has fans really happy for a number of reasons. He's, in my opinion, I truly believe Ryan Dezingle is a top five fastest skater in the league. He had a breakout season last year and is really his first, you know, full year in the in the NHL. 14 goals, 18 assists. He mostly played alongside Kyle Turris, but I do believe he deserved those top six minutes. The only knock on him is he can't finish, but he did lead the league, uh, the team in individual scoring chances. And I, I take that 10 times out of 10, a guy that can't finish but still uh, div, uh, you know, gets those scoring chances, make those plays, and and gets pucks to the net, and, and has you know decent possession numbers over guys that are simply just good in the room and, and can't do much on the ice. He's 25 years old, and I won't ask you about him, but I do want to tie this into Bobby Ryan because there were some people that thought you know after the postseason that Bobby had that you know maybe actually Pierre Dorian kind of needs to rethink whether or not he wants to have Bobby Ryan on his protection list. We found out yesterday that Ryan will be exposed. Do you think that after his postseason, after this postseason where he came alive and, and really you know showed that he was outrightly, undoubtedly the best forward on that team for 19 games, do you, think, do you have the slightest qualm whatsoever with Dorian exposing him? No, I wouldn't if I was a Sens fan. I mean, he's he's been about a, what, a 50-point guy there in Ottawa when he's had healthy seasons, which I don't need to tell you guys isn't great value for what he's paid. <laughs> and would I guess if you just look at it from this perspective, would you sign a guy knowing he put up less than a half a point per game in the regular season this year but then had a pretty good playoff of 15 points in 19 games? Would you go and give that guy a $7-plus million contract for five more years? Yeah, of course. And, and Which is what McPhee is facing, right? Yeah. And he the, wants to challenge. Yeah. So I think it's not really the Dion situation. I think there was probably better odds they would have taken Dion. I don't think they would have taken either. But that's the right call for me on Dezingle, who I thought always thought would really uh, impress me, as you say, one of the better skate, under most underrated skaters in the league and a really sort of nice secondary scoring piece for them that added some depth this year that I was a little bit worried about from the Ottawa Senators' perspective. Yeah, and I mean, if you look at the playoffs that Dzingel also had, he only had three points, and, and he was a scratch in multiple games, I believe. I believe he was a scratch in four games uh, for Chris Kelly and Tommy Wingles and a couple other guys. But he was like almost dominant when he was on the ice when he had the puck he was making power moves to the net against boston when a lot of other forwards were kind of squeamish to go in there yeah i and, like that about him a lot and he's got some he's got some jam and some uh some grind to of him of course he's fearless absolutely fearless and I, I think you know he's one of those guys that has had to prove his way through binghamton uh you know came out of college and and they weren't exactly sure on him but the past few years you know uh, uh dave cameron refused to play him which I think was just asinine. And he comes up here, and Guy Boucher gives him 81 games in the NHL and, you know, talks about his speed. And, and so I think that's a – I was 
absolutely, uh, I, I was uh, jovial when I saw that he was protecting him. But just a last thought on, on Ryan here. You mentioned his money. It's $7.25 million for the next, I mean, four or five years, I believe. He's turning yeah, 31. Yeah, he's turning 31 next year. And it's just, it's obvious that, you know, it would be difficult for them to take him. But one of the things that I actually, I've heard lately is that Vegas is going to be taking a lot of, you know, younger guys off of other teams. You're looking at a guy like maybe like Jonathan Marshall, so who's making 750000 in Florida next year. You're looking at guys uh, that are really young in the league, still on uh, contracts that, that don't have them be getting paid a lot. And they need to make 60 to 100% of the uh, NHL salary when they choose this team. So I've heard a couple people say that, you know what? they kind of do need to take some big contracts to just to get up there and, and to make the league happy and, and, and to, to fit the rules. So it's not out of the question that they do take Bobby Ryan. I think they'll, they'll still go to someone uh, like, uh, I mean, well, let's go to this next one, right? So Mark Mathod well, is... Well, I, I just wanted to, like, I was thinking about as you were talking about, we were talking, mentioned Phaneuf there, and talk about a guy who's a useful player who just can't get out of the shadow of his own contract in sort of the cap era, eh? Yeah. Because, like... Imagine if what just happened played out in Toronto. I'm sure he's thinking that. Like, yeah, it's an awkward position he's in now, especially if they lose Mark Massad, who's something of a fan favorite there. And it's and who really of, was was great like in the playoffs? It's not his fault at all. It's something like I would say that like asking a player to waive his no trade and him using it is not really that unlike saying, "Hey, um, do you mind just accepting a million dollars less a year?" Because it, it's a negotiated part of your contract, yeah, of course. But like at least for Dion's sake, who I've, I I I can't believe the hard luck the guys had over the last couple of years. But at least for his sake, it was in Ottawa, and hopefully fans see that you know it's as much as as we can get into sort of he's not worth seven million dollars. You know the impact of the cap, maybe it wasn't the best trade. The fact that the guy loves Ottawa, wanted to stay there, and they had a great year. It's I think it's a good story. I, I agree with Dorian when he said that. Uh, it I have a lot of respect for Dion. Yeah, of course. And you know what? I think after the playoffs, and he played a really sound game. It wasn't, I don't think it was as much as people let on uh, to make people believe, but he did have a, a relatively good playoffs, uh, contributed a bit offensively, and, you know, was that stable force behind Cody Ceci, who looked, uh, you know, completely out of sorts for 19 straight games. Um, but what I, I think, what I believe that could really happen now, and I truly believe this after watching, you know, the past 40 or 50 games with Ottawa, is that I think it's 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 very likely that Dion actually moves into a role on this team where, in maybe a, a, in two or three years, or maybe in one or two years, that he moves on to the uh, the third pairing and plays with young guys coming into this organization and stabilizes them and, and brings them under their wing because I, I, I really think the clock is ticking. He said he wanted to work on his speed in the summer, but I, I don't know how much you can gain back after for the past four or five years he's looked like he's been getting slower and slower and slower. But I really think that after this postseason, it's looking like a pretty not horrible position for Ottawa to be in, to have him on that third pairing, to be, you know, looking after some of the young guys that are coming in and to play 14 or 15 minutes a game uh, in a couple of years and, 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 you know, really just go off with that contract. But let's move on to who Vegas are taking from Ottawa. Now, Chris Weidman, Freddie Clayson, Mark Mathot, even a guy like Clark MacArthur and, and, and a couple of guys up front there. It's all valid for, for Vegas here. I think they should be leaning towards taking Mathot 
And what are your thoughts on whether or not Ottawa should make a, a deal with Vegas? Because this is so weird also, like looking at how, uh, people have protected across the league and who Toronto protects and who Ottawa protects, because we have no idea what is going on in the background and who is making deals with, uh, with whoever. But Mark Mathot makes $4.9 million. He plays with Eric Carlson. How much would you give up to keep him on the Senators team if you're Pierre Dorian? Yeah, that's a good question. Like, I could see, um, I could see it not being that big of an incentive they would need to, to to cough up because I don't think that Vegas would be that crazy to take Chris Weidman. Like, maybe it's maybe it's not that big of an incentive that Dorian would have to give them to steer him towards Weidman over Mathot. I mean, there's something to be said for for the leadership and and. Mathot can play tough minutes, and that's tough to find. But in terms of he's basically a guy who's played next to Carlson and just been a steady presence, go D to D, doesn't really put up points. He may, his contract is, I don't know, debatable, I guess. I would think that Vegas wouldn't really need that much of an incentive to, to go take Chris Weidman instead if that's what Dorian wants to do. And I'm assuming he does, right? Yeah, and then uh, there's a couple of reasons why I don't think losing Mathot is necessarily the you know the the end of everything is there's a guy like Freddie Clayson who plays with Eric Carlson when Mathot is out, um, who plays with him and they they look like a solid first pairing uh, first pairing across the entire league and Freddie Clayson just had an outstanding uh, postseason played uh, you know nearly all the games and either played with Eric Carlson or played shutdown minutes with with Chris Weidman um, and I, I kind of have this feeling that maybe you should be actually be going towards protect trying to get Freddie Clayson out of uh, Las Vegas's hands because maybe they don't want to take a big contract maybe they want to take a guy who signed on on a one-way I believe it's around 800,000 uh, for Freddie and who has been playing some pretty decent hockey the past couple of years the other thing I, I don't I have no qualms with losing a defenseman is because I think Guy Boucher kind of needs some persuading to actually play Shabbat next year I think that they need to lose a guy that if they lose Mathot, sure, Freddie Clayson goes up and plays with Carlson, or maybe they go up and go out in the free agency and try and get a defenseman. Um, I, I don't. I think Shattenkirk said that uh, the realm of possibility, but maybe they go out and get someone to play with Carlson. But if so you're, you're totally sold that Shabbat's an NHL defenseman tomorrow, and then AHL time wouldn't kill him. Yes, one hundred percent. And okay. especially on a team that. You've got a guy that is. You got a. If you're losing a defenseman, you've got Ben Harper, you've got Mark Borowiecki, you've got Andreas Englund, um, and I know I'm missing someone. But those are the guys that are going to be fighting for that sixth spot, that consistent NHL player spot. And I am of the complete belief that once you get out of junior, you've played all your years, you're around 20 years old. More, more than you know, more than often, you are what you are, and I, I have loved what I've seen from Shabbat, and even in the game that he played in the NHL against uh, the Arizona Coyotes, I thought he was fine. I think he make a, I made a couple mistakes, but his confidence is there. And after spending a year with the Sea Dogs, you know, they they go out and they they win the championship. He plays outstanding at the World Juniors. I, I don't know. I think he's ready. He's if he puts on a bit of muscle, that's all they want him to do. I'm completely set with him being a full-time NHL defenseman next year. Um, so. I think it would be difficult, more difficult than you think for them to go out and take Chris Weidman. Also, seeing as how badly he played in the playoffs, um, especially against Boston, especially against New York. I mean, he, we, he didn't see a lick yeah, of ice sure. time after. It wasn't, the, wasn't the word that they, they were sort of fans of his for a while? Yeah, a bit. In, and, in Vegas? Yeah, but I, I think that's soured 
it has to have soured over time. I mean, Wybin was playing the least amount of time in the playoffs and then also got scratched a bunch of times. And it wasn't because they wanted to get Ben Harper and it wasn't because they wanted to get another guy in to replace him. It was because he flat out did not play well. So I think it's worth, I think I truly think it's worth making a deal for them to take Weidman if they want to take Clayson. I don't know if it's totally worth losing my thought um, over uh, if you're if you're going to make a deal for them not to take my thought for them to take Weidman. So uh, I don't know. I think Ottawa's would you have, would you have looked to deal to deal CC in the first place before ever exposing the thought? God, of course, yes, definitely. I, I would have. I it, actually don't hate that decision from just from an asset management perspective. From not like, not trading him, CC has major flaws. Like he's a nice skill set, but got major holes in his game specifically between the years i think and i but like Mathot, i get that Mathot can play tough minutes um he's got a lot of fans um i'm sure coming off the year he just had the playoff he had but i mean cc's they've got rfa control on him for another year after this like when his contract's up yeah he's pretty cheap He's right-handed. He's got a good pedigree. He's got a nice skill set, even if he might never put it together. I I don't hate that decision just from an asset management standpoint. Do you realize how much he got caved in, though, this this whole entire uh, year in the postseason? I look at the numbers, and they are putrid. Yeah, it's just it, it's really unimaginable, too, because he was playing against you know hard competition, but it's just they just I just don't think Boucher and Dorian really learned their lesson through the year, and they just kept playing him like 30 minutes a night. Like most nights in the playoffs, he actually played, not most nights, but more than often, he played more even strength minutes than Eric Carlson. And that's kind of what scares me with him is because I don't think it's his play that kind of scares me as much as they think that it's better than it actually is. Like I'm sure you've had to deal with that over the years in Toronto, like a couple of guys that, that management likes more than they actually should. <laughs> All right, so let's move on to the overall NHL. I really want to just open it up with, with one question about a trade. Are the Calgary Flames just going to go through mediocre go- to good starting goaltenders until they relocate? Because this Mike Smith trade is just, it just blows my mind. I mean, there are other goaltenders out there available for them to get. And they bring on a guy that doesn't have a great contract who has not posted a save percentage above 916 since 2011 and has only done that once in his entire career. Um, and it's, it's just, I don't understand what they're doing here. Do you, can you put any thought into this trade and for, you know, why it might actually work out for for Calgary? Cause I can't, I think it's just a throwing stuff at the wall and hoping it sticks approach now between the pipes for them. I mean, it's been, it's been an ongoing struggle since basically Kippersov, right. For them to find that yeah, of sort course. of consistent starter. And I don't, I like you, I don't see Smith at this age at this time is an upgrade clear upgrade on brian elliott who they could have probably brought back at a decent price given he had a just a next year and horrible start um smith's been as you say league average or below for about five years now he's a, he's a great puck handler probably the best in the league and he still has that sort of that game stealing ability like i i hated playing mike smith whenever the least played him because he just seemed like he was up to stealing a game but he could also be lit up just as easily like he I guess you, you got to defend him on the standpoint that he hasn't played on a good team or even a remotely competitive team last year. Um, but like you said, there were other options out there, and I'd have thought getting Elliott back short-term on the cheap 
And I think they would have had to sacrifice a conditional third-round pick in that case, which is what they paid for Smith anyway, because the original deal with uh, St. Louis. But spending a few assets on a younger backup, maybe with some starter potential, which the market's flooded with them right now, I think would have been the best bet for them while bringing back Elliott. That's how I'd have hedged my bets if I was uh, true living. It's kind of like the opposite of new player smell for me. I think the when I heard Tree Living kind of, you know, talk about why he made the trade, it, it's it just feels like Mike Smith has been a starter there for so long that people kind of believe that he is an NHL starter anywhere else, right? Like it's it's kind of like you feel he needs a chance somewhere else, but it, I think that's totally uh, not the right idea. But speaking of goaltending, I mean. I'm I'm of the opinion that you know now that we see I mean what in the world is going on on in Detroit uh, that you you see like Ranta Luongo Mrazek Flurry Grubauer Ward like goalies like this that are that are you've got a couple of of solid goaltenders in, in there but they're all good goalies and I'm of the opinion that Vegas should grab four or five goalies I'm pretty sure you can do that all you have to do is take three. Um, and you have three or four spots still open for all the players, uh, for extra players. And, you know, deal a couple of these guys to Philly, Arizona, maybe even Vancouver if they're looking to have a guy ahead of Markstrom next year. Um, I mean, Arizona d- needs to be looking for another goaltender. Are you of the opinion that Vegas should take a couple extras this uh, this uh, expansion draft? I've heard people say crazy things like they should take seven and all this stuff. <laughs> seven seven goaltenders. <laughs> <laughs> I, I could see going with something like four quality goaltenders but you might be starting to get a little crazy after that like rather than picking up some of the other available assets you're, you're going all in on that because the demand in in the it's a pretty inelastic demand in the goalie market right you could potentially sort of seeing them do something interesting where they grab like a pair of quality backups or like one b goalies and then send a different goalie over to a team that they just took a goalie from sort of like essentially sitting in the middle swapping goalies between teams and collecting attacks on it if you're mcphee but there is only so much demand for goalies. Like Dallas has already gone in and addressed their need with Bishop, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I guess Vegas could maybe take on a Niemi contract there or something if they could get a sweetener asset in, in, in that deal. But Carolina also took care of their goaltending, they feel, and with what they feel is their guy in, in, in Scott Darling. And Calgary feels they're set now with Mike Smith. So, like you say, you're probably dealing with Philly and Arizona. Arizona if they, if they don't think Chad Johnson could start, which they should probably add something else. Of course, um, yeah. And Philadelphia, maybe Winnipeg. And like the the Leafs are a team that probably should be in a, on a backup, maybe. But the returns on straight backups just aren't that big. So. Philip Grubauer, yeah. I mean, I would take out of the goaltenders that I said. I mean, Luongo. I don't know why you would take him if you have a guy like Jonathan Marsh or so. Available. You take Morazic, eh? Yeah. Well, no. Of course, you would take Morazic. I, I would take Ranta, Morazic, Flurry, and Grubauer. Uh, Don't you think, though, that that Holland's probably operating on a little bit of information that they aren't going to touch him? Uh, I, I. You know what? I read. That, I read. That makes a total zero sense from asset management standpoint. When you look at like Howard's career numbers, his age, his contract versus Morazic. Morazic's like twenty-five. Yeah, of course. But um, I mean, I I, I I read a piece Ken yesterday. Is an idiot, though. So we clearly know something. There's something going on in the background here, and there's lines of communication not but just between McPhee and him, but him and 30 other GMs. So maybe, maybe Holland thinks there's no chance for Razik's one of the goalies that gets claimed, I mean, and he's protecting Howard to prove a point because you don't have to do too much reading between the lines to know that Morazic is in the bad books there. 
yeah. there were some really weird signals this year. I remember when the Leafs were playing them um, uh, for the, the winter or centennial classic, whatever it's called, they started that Jared Carreau guy in that game. Yeah, he started really in Ottawa curious, as well. Yeah, which is really curious given it was a big spectacle, and I'm pretty sure Mrazek was. Uh, yeah, he was struggling at that time, but I think he was healthy and ready for selection. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure. And the Leafs, the Leafs lit up Carreau that night. So. I think there were some hard feelings coming out of that contract negotiation with him the summer before, and he didn't respond. So I think this is probably indicative of a fractured relationship there more than anything. And I would guess that Holland thinks he's not getting taken for one reason or another. But if he's proven wrong, then we can laugh at, at Holland because it's a crazy move otherwise. Because, I don't, I don't know, it's just, Detroit's a fascinating team to me because you listen to Holland talk, which I did the other day, about the goaltending situation. It's pretty obvious that they really think highly of Howard as just sort of as a professional and as a person. But whether that team's going to go sort of scorched earth tank rebuild like they probably need to, given that the winning culture is so like steeped in the DNA there that they might have too much pride to sort of throw in the flag, which I don't think they're going to do, it's really hard for me to picture them getting the pieces they need on that team now, down the middle and on the back end, any other way than, than drafting really high for a bunch of years. Well, speaking of drafting for them, I looked at their cap friendly the other day, and I'm on it right now, and it is crazy how many draft picks they have. It's it's absolutely yeah, insane. In the next two years. Yeah, unbelievable. So this year they have one, two, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, and they have. Six in the first three rounds. Six. Six in the first three rounds. So, but, but when you're talking about replacing Satsuk and Zetterberg and getting top-pairing defensemen, which they don't have anymore, it's those guys come from high in the draft. So is, is this organization going to start going scorched earth with this and tank it for a few years? Because you listen to Holland talk and you realize that, that the, the culture that's there is they, they want to be competitive and still be a playoff team. Yeah, and I think they can do that in the next few years while I'm they, not convinced. Well, you know, yeah, no, but while they wait out some of these contracts, right? Like you've got Johan Franz, and I mean, I know he's on the the IR here, but you've got like some contracts that will need moving. You've got a couple of contracts that expire over that, like Cronwall is out in 4.75 million when he turns 38 in 2019. You got Mike Green six million that expires in 2018. So. With these draft picks, I mean, what's happening in... They've got two extras in 2018 as well, 2017. That is a ton of draft picks. I think they're set up for maybe like a, th a four- or five-year turnaround to being like a, a really solid team because you're going to have guys um, like Andreas Anthony CU, like Dylan Larkin, like Anthony Mantha that are just go getting into their prime when you are turning these these late guys like Zetterberg and, and Cronwall um you know, taking their contracts, moving them off the books, and bringing in the new guys. So I don't think they're set up horribly to turn this franchise around. I just think it's it's going to be dark days for for two or three years. Is it not? Like it's it's they are not looking good. Um, but let let's end on one last thing, and I want I'll get your quick thoughts on here because we're, we're we're around 32 minutes right here. But why in the hell did the St. Louis Blues protect Ryan Reeves? <laughs> Beats me, man. And I mean that's the craziest one from yesterday. Totally. I'm assuming there's. Well, is Morat is is Morazic really not? I guess for Reeves, but I I don't know. Like last year, they had a they had turn. I don't know. It's probably from a leadership perspective. Like last year, a bit the turmoil of that coaching change, and the way they turned it around. I think the organization really valued what Reeves did in the room and the example he set. 
because it wasn't an easy year. But David Perron hit a horrible playoff, but what was he, a 45-point guy? He might have hit 20 goals, and I think he's only got the one year on his contract. So he's a totally – if you are not, if you don't see him there long term, which he's a still a good player, then you could easily pedal that guy for something. So Ryan Reeves isn't getting you anything. So it's – it's <laughs> would they have taken him either? I don't know. Like, is Vegas – is McPhee and they bringing in fighters because they're in Vegas and they're, like, boxing there? I don't know, but it's – it's inexplicable. Yeah, David Perron, 29 years old, turning 30 in May next year. 46 points in the regular season. Like he didn't have um, a great playoffs. He had one assist in, in 11 games. But how do you give up on a guy like that for Ryan Reeves, who scored seven goals in 80 games, um, and is actually older than David Perron? Um, <laughs> yeah, I just that that was mind-boggling. There were, I thought there would be, you know more surprises but I, I'm, I'm glad that there were a few that we could actually talk about all right that's it for us lots is happening in the coming weeks so we'll be back relatively soon to talk draft free agency and possibly some off-season trades you can find the battle of ontario on twitter at battle of ont and look for our shows on maple Leafs hot stove sb nation silver seven itunes and soundcloud i've been callum fraser he's been alec brownscomb and you've been listening to the battle of ontario we'll see you soon